So very much to be thankful for. And on this Thanksgiving weekend, we do invite you to turn in your Bibles. If you have a Bible, it's Psalm 100 is our text today. And I'll be sharing a message with you covering all five verses. Let me just uh, add, as Brother Terry shared with you a minute ago, we're so delighted that you're here today. On Thanksgiving holiday, and my wife Ashley and I, we look forward to meeting our first-time guest. We will be right over by the coffee shop and would love to meet you and greet you and give you a book that I've written. And so if you would, just on your way out, drop by and say hello to us. And before I begin the message, let me just say a hearty thank you to all those who gave so graciously and willingly last weekend as we had our harvest offering. And we're grateful to God for the amount that came in. Uh, we are still very much behind on our, on our giving to our, our budget expenses, so let me encourage you over the next few weeks as we finish out the year 2017 uh, to keep uh, your faithfulness in giving so that we can continue to do the work that God is calling us to do, not just here in Austin, but uh, literally all over the world. So grateful for our church, and the, I tell you, it's amazing is to see that the tentacles of the Lord uh, through us just reaching so uh, many people. Kathy, where was that lady you gave me a note today? She watches us. Wyoming. We have people joining us in worship from Wyoming. Never, never knew that, but through our, our internet. And uh, we have a very large congregation, not only here, but also in the cyber world. And so she sent us a note this week. I enjoy worshiping with you every Sunday from Wyoming. So God bless you. Thank you for being here from uh, Wyoming and from all over. You may be joining us. But thank you, Great Hills, for uh, the, the ministry that God has given us. And so glad that you're here today. And I'd love to to meet with our guest right after. So Psalm 100, what a text. Like you, I love this passage of Scripture, and probably like most of you, I've never preached a sermon from this passage of Scripture, but I so have enjoyed studying it over the last few days and couple of weeks in this Thanksgiving holiday sermon, and so I pray that it blesses you. And the title of the message is called Better Together. Better Together. Now, there are some things that you can do, really you have to do alone, right? Uh, you, you have to uh, take your SAT and ACT score. You have to take that test alone. I've yet to meet a potential college student who said, I want to send a group of my buddies to go in and take the test for me. Well, you can't do that. Those of you that are, that are married, uh, you, lady, you had to walk down that aisle. You said, I wasn't alone. My dad was with me. Okay, I give you that. So you, your dad was with you. But, but, sir, you, you were there, and you were waiting on her at the altar. There, there's no group uh, weddings. There's just some things you just have to do. Your time with the Lord every day. Uh, you cannot have a proxy devotional time. You, you cannot ask, you cannot call me and say, well, Brother Danny, would you have my quiet time for me today? I'm kind of sleepy or I'm kind of behind. I, I, I love you, but I just cannot do that for you. There's some things that you just have to go at. Uh, alone. How about a job interview? When you go for a job interview, it's you and the potential employee. You can't bring your buddies. You can't bring your friends. can't even bring your prayer support group. There are just some things that you have to enter into alone, and you have to do it. But thank you, Lord, there are some things that are just better uh, together. And I'm going to list a couple of these. Uh, we have our, our uh, directories. In fact, we need to probably do that. We've had lots of new people join us, and some people have graduated on to heaven, so we probably need to do another one of those. But you have those, what kind of portraits are they called? 
family of portraits. You say, well, I'm a single adult. Well, you're a, you're a family of one. But if you're a family of five, for example, how silly would it be to take five individual photos and put them in our directory? So, well, no, no, that's silly. You can't do that. You have to, you have to put us all uh, together and we sit for the portrait uh, picture. And I think about other things that are just, just better together. I think about the Thanksgiving meal. You know, we, like you, we, we just ate way too much food, and it was fantastic. And I actually counted the number of rooms in my house. Have you ever done that? you ever counted the number of rooms in your house? Uh, and actually, I did that I, for preparation of the sermon. I, I counted, but I forgot the number. Uh, math is not my strong suit. It was either 12 or 15. Now, we live in a, uh, in a house about 2,300 square foot home. Some of you have much larger homes. Some of you have much smaller homes, and I get that. But let's just say that we had, and we had a guest over for our Thanksgiving meal. What if I said, here, we're going to do things different this year, all right? We're all going to go to a room and eat the Thanksgiving meal by ourselves. But I get the living room because I want to watch the Cowboys get beat again. Amen. Well, anyhow, I, I, we're all going to go to a separate room, all right? So you go to the closet, you go over to the bedroom, you go, to the, you go over to the, uh, the attic room, and you say, that is ludicrous because that's no fun eating a Thanksgiving meal by yourself. We all got to come together. And you know, when we think of worship, worship, and I get having a quiet time with the Lord, and that's so important, but there's something absolutely majestic. There's something beautiful, pristine, when the people of God come together to worship God in one voice. You know, I love solos. I do, but I also love, love ensembles and I love choirs. And there's a place for everything. But on Sunday morning, Bill Gates is wrong. He's right about a lot of things, but he is wrong about theology. Bill Gates, the founder of Microsoft, said, no way am I going to church. He said, I got so many other things I can do a whole lot more important than going to church. Well, I, actually, he's, he's right and wrong. He's right in the sense that there are a lot of things that he can do living in the Pacific Northwest if he still lives there. There's all kinds of mountains and all kinds of streams and lakes and ocean, even an ocean out there. There's all kinds of things you can do on a Sunday morning, but I would argue and say, sir, the most important thing you could do is to worship the God who gave you all that. The God who created the ocean, the mountains, and the sea. The, the God who created your big brain to create Microsoft. We thank you for it. But most of all, we thank God. And so when we come together, we worship the Lord God Almighty in unison, in one accord. And there's just something special about being together in worship. In fact, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, it says, we are to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but we are to come together in church. In fact, let's read it. It says, and let us consider one another to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. I love that. We, we're not to forsake the assembly. Some people ask me all the time, well, it never says in the Bible you're supposed to go to church. Well, actually it does. It says it right here. It says, go to church. A good translation of this verse would be just go to church, right? We're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves as is the manner of some. That's interesting. Even in the first century, there were those who said, I don't need the church. And the writer of the book of Hebrews, whoever that may be, Apollos or Luke or Paul, I don't know. Thank you, Lord, for the book. I don't know who wrote it. We'll find out one day. But praise God, they had this in there. But we are to gather together for worship and not forsake the assembling of ourselves like some people are already doing, but we exhort one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. So let me just go ahead and just say this. Thank you for being in church. I appreciate you being here today. For some of you, it took a Herculean 
amazing effort just to get here. You, you had a turkey hangover, right? You're just like, oh man, I got so much stuff and I'm stuffed and I'm just so tired. But you know what? I recognize that it's the almighty God that gave me this bountiful cornucopia of blessings. And so Lord, I'm coming to church to worship God. So thank you for being here. Now let me give you a psalm. This, this is an amazing text. And I, I'm surprised in preaching for 30 years, I've never preached on Psalm 100, at least as a pastor on Thanksgiving weekend. So here we go. It's Psalm 100. We're better together as we come to the temple of the Lord to worship Him. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. I always wonder, why do we sing so much in church? That's why. <laughs> God says, come. Come together and sing praises to my name. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us, and we did not make ourselves. We are his people, and we are the sheep of his pasture. I will enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. Why? For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And his truth endures to all generations. They call it Old Hundred. In 1562, Lois Bourgeois wrote a hymn of faith, and his text was first it was Psalm 134, but then it became Psalm 100, and John Calvin included it in his Geneva Psalter. Now, you got to understand, before the Reformation, here's how they did worship. It was, it was terrible. Only the priests got to sing, and they chanted in Latin while all the populace, all the people just sat there and just listened to the priest chant in Latin. How fun would that be? That'd be no fun. I don't, want, I don't even know Latin. I'd be in a bad way. And so the Reformers were like, listen, we need to get all the people of God. And did you know that Martin Luther, he was one of the great hymn writers of the day. And this guy, Lois Bourgeois, he is, a, he is a part of John Calvin's group, and he writes a psalm, a hymn based on Psalm 100. And by the way, it was already a psalm. It was already a hymn that the people of Israel, they would enter into his gates with thanksgiving, the gates of Jerusalem, and then they would enter into the very courts of God, the courts of praise, which would be the temple. Well, anyhow, John Calvin, he had this strong belief that we can worship God so much more the better if we will sing the scriptures and we will come together. We can get the tunes wherever we want to get them. And Luther and Calvin both believe this. We can get the tune out of the bar if we need to. Oh, mercy. You said they didn't do that. They did. A mighty fortress is our God that came right out of the bar. Did you know that? They got that tune out of the bar and put, when I say bar, I'm talking about pubs, you know, drinking places. But they sang it. They said, man, those guys are singing really good. Let's put some Christian words to it, and we'll get a mighty fortress is, is our God. And John Calvin believed that. And he said, let's put good, good theology and doctrine and Bible with these popular tunes. And it exploded. I mean, the people came together, and their hearts were so full of praise. Instead of listening to the Catholic priests just chant, they all gathered together, and they called it the Geneva Psalter, 1562, one of the premier primary songs was this Psalm 100. They call it Old Hundred. Two questions I want to ask you today. First of all is how do we worship God together? If we are better together in our worship of God, how do we do that? What does 
worship look like? I'm going to go ahead and give you a hint. It's celebratory, it's demonstrative, it's powerful. So how do we worship God? In these texts, verses 1 and 2 and, and, and 4, I think it is, we're going to look at each one of those verses, and we're going to learn a lot about what it means to worship God, how we worship God. But then the next question is, why do we worship God? Why? Have you ever thought of saying, yeah, that's a good question. Why do we worship God? We're going to look at not only how we do it, but we're also going to look at why we do it. As we look at this message, this Thanksgiving message on we are better together. So, Father, I just pray the name above every name, Jesus, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, that, God, you would speak to us, your worshipers, and that, Lord, you would teach us from your word just how we are to enter into your gates with thanksgiving and how, Lord, we are to lift up shouts of praise, how we are to bless your name. And, Lord, also, would you teach us today from your word why? Why is it so important that we gather together in our prayer closets, but especially in our corporate worship, and sing praise to your name? Why do we do that? God, teach us from your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said a hearty amen. Amen. All right, so let's look at the text and answer this first question. How, how do we go about uh, doing this? And so in verse 1, first of all, it says, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you land. So let's just keep that verse up there for a minute because it's just packed. It's just theologically pregnant with great doctrine and theology. The psalmist says, Make, make a joyful shout. And there's only one apparatus that enables us to make a shout, and that would be this apparatus. It would be our mouths, our tongue, our teeth, and it's amazing how God created us to speak and to shout. But we're not, by the way, we're not just supposed to shout. We're to make a, what's the adjective? What does it say? A joyful shout. Now, all of us know what shouting is, right? So, yeah, Pastor, I shouted at my wayward backslidden kids today. I tell you, I just hollered at them, and I'm sorry. I, I need to come to church and ask God for forgiveness. We know what shouting is, right? And we also know what a joyful shout is because we do it every weekend. Every single weekend when your team scores a touchdown or especially if your team wins a game, have you ever noticed what people do in the football, I almost called it cathedrals, but the football arenas, there's a lot of worship going on. I tell you, and people, Oh, man, way to go. High five, man. That's all. Have you ever, you ever caught yourself going, what in the world am I doing? I'm raising my hands. I'm shouting out loud. I've got a big old smile on my face. What has given me this much joy? Well, your team just scored a touchdown. Oh, got it. Same with baseball. In October of 2011, I was actually there when Texas Rangers, when they used to be good, bless them, the Texas Rangers we're playing the Detroit Tigers, and a couple of us from church, we were up there in the, in the left field, third baseline area, and Nellie Cruz, bless his soul, he gets up in the bottom of the 10th, the score is tied 3-3, three to three, and he hits a grand slam in a playoff game. Man, I'm telling you, any reservation, any Baptist I had in me, it just left. I came out, woo man, I was throwing my hands in the air like I just don't care. 40,000 other people were too, and we were shouting. I mean, we were just hollering, and there goes Nelly Cruz. He comes around, and he takes his hat, and he just hurls it, and he just runs right into a mop, and they start doing this. That's my favorite part. Y'all want to try this with me? It's just fun. Just kind of, I mean, they're just having a good time and shouting. 
And then what happened next, it, it just, it amazed me. As we were leaving the ballpark, I mean complete, Jack, I'm telling you the truth. Complete strangers would walk up to me and go, right here, man, right here. Woo! Right here, brother. Woo! And I was like, what am I doing? I'm high-fiving complete strangers. We're, we're like kids. We're bouncing up and down. We were making some joyful shouts over a baseball that went over a fence, all right? So how much more? If we know a God that loves us and created us, gives us everything that we have, ought we not to enter into the presence of God with a, David says, a joyful shout to the Lord, L-O-R-D, big cap letters. That's the Hebrew for Yahweh, the Lord God, the self-existent one, the God who was and is and forever be. And then it's all-inclusive, all-encompassing. He goes, all the lands. Did you see that in verse 1? All the lands, let us rise up and worship the one true God with a joyful shout. And y'all know I do this. Y'all know I'm practicing what I'm preaching. I'm shouting sometimes when I'm preaching, and when I'm praising the Lord over there, I scare people sometimes because I'll let out a Harley, woohoo! And people go, good night, man. You know what? Calm down that fanatic. I'd rather do that than raise up a corpse, amen? I, I, I want to be shouting to the Lord, rejoicing to the Lord. You ought to try it sometimes. Make a joyful shout. You say, well, Pastor Danny, there's a place for reverence and quiet in the temple of God. And I would say, you're right, but this is not one of them. <laughs> this is time for Baptists to become Bapticostal, and we are to shout joyful praise unto God. Amen. That's right. Come here, Jack. Come on, Jack. Amen. Woo, that's good. Brandon, that's good. That's good. Just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Like a joyful shout to the Lord. So you're having fun in church. You know, I, I think God intends us to have a good time in worshiping Him. He's a good, good Father. How are we to worship Him? First of all, if you're upset, you've got to take this up with the Holy Spirit, right? Because I didn't write the book. He said, make joyful shouts. Number two, let's look at verse two. Abad, I think it's the Hebrew word. Abad. Serve the Lord. That's an interesting word. It's in the cow imperative. It's an imperative word saying we are to serve the Lord with energy. The word literally means the person who is tilling the soil or doing some physical exertion of his work, of his job. You ever thought about it like that? We are to come to church, to the temple of God, and ready to serve, ready to work, ready to praise Him. Now, Terry, i got to brag on you and our worship ministry. Y'all get here early. They get here like 7.30, Terry does, and man, they start tuning up the instruments, and they start getting everything prepared, and, and Mark Cook, God bless you, I see you there, he's here early, turning on the lights, turning on the air conditioning, turning on the heat, and y'all are going, hey, I knew somebody did that, because you know, we just take it for granted, we just come, and everything is ready, and there are people who do that, and they serve the Lord, but it's not just for them, we all ought to come with the service mentality of God, how can I serve you better? How can I serve my fellow man better? Because that is true and accurate worship. It's what he says, right? Come into his presence with a shout of praise and serve the Lord with gladness, with a pleasant, peaceful, quiet, happy spirit. And then it says, come. Come before his presence with singing. This is another imperative verb. This, this, 
This Psalm 100 is just full of imperatives for the people of God. Now, you got to understand, he's, this context is Israel coming to Jerusalem. The gates of Jerusalem are open. The courts of the, courts of the temple are open. And the people are in this processional, and they are coming into the house of God. And they are shouting songs of praise. They are lifting up their hands. They're serving one another, serving the Lord. And then they are singing. And they're singing psalms and singing songs to praise God. So these are the characteristics of worship. This is the attribute of powerful worship. There's shouts of joy. There's a literal coming to. Did y'all catch that? Come before his presence with the people of God. There are times when you worship God by yourself, but Sunday morning is not one of them. But I worship the Lord at the lake. No, you don't. I worship God on the golf course. No, you don't. You curse. You don't tell me, I, oh, I just worship God in nature. I just worship God wherever I am. And you can do that, but you cannot do it as well as if you were with the people of God. There's just something dynamic. There's just something amazing. Just to think of the hundreds of us here together with a corporate shouts of praise, corporate standing and singing worship unto God. That's how we are to do it. Let me, let me keep going. Another verse. Oh, I like this one. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. The first one entered. Again, there's that corporate invitation to go to church, go to the temple, right? So we are entering into God's gates, into Jerusalem, if you will, with thanksgiving. All three of these are interesting in their Hebrew verb stems. It's been a while since I've had Hebrew, but it was interesting to refresh. Enter is a cowl imperative, which is just the basic, most common Hebrew verb stem throughout all the Bible. And it is just a basic command. We are to enter into God's gates and we are to do it with a spirit of thanksgiving, a joyful glee, if you will. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you for my health. I even got here today. God, thank you for the chariot that brought me here today. In the, okay, in that context, thank you, God, for my car that got me here today. I don't have a car, but God, thank you for the bus that got me here today. Thank you, God, for Great Hills Baptist Church. Thank you, God, that their doors are open. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. I get to be here, and I get to worship you. That's the spirit that all of us are to have when we enter into the presence of God with the people of God, into his courts with praise, worship, be thankful to him. Now, this is the hyphil causative verb stem. That means th this be thankful, there's a causation there. Why are we thankful? We are to be thankful to him because of many reasons. And we're going to look at this in a moment. But here's my favorite one. Y'all see this? Bless his name. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Oh my soul. That's the PL intensive. You say, what? You have bumped your head somewhere. What are you speaking up there, brother? Listen, I don't remember a whole lot when I studied Hebrew, but I remember the P-L. P-I-E-L. Whenever that verb form is used in the Hebrew, it's always used in the intense. Like, here's, here's a good translation. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise, be thankful to God, and really bless his name. Did y'all get that? Really, really do it. That's, that's what that's communicating. Um, for thy rod and thy staff, they really comfort me. That's the PL. You, you got to preface it with a sense of urgency and intensity. And, and it's like David is saying, and guys, when you come together, not in a, not in a, oh, perfunctory, oh, goodness, it's the Lord's day. You got to go to church. No, no, no. It's a coming and really bless his name. 
Terry, I probably ought to sh- preach this sermon first, and then we sing praise. I wonder if we do a little bit better in our praise and worship. Don't get nervous. We're, we're, it's all good. It's all good. So these are some of the, the how-tos, all right? How are we to worship God? I hope you're taking notes. I hope next Sunday when we come together to worship God and praise God for the evangelistic missionary fervor that God has given us as a church, and when we stand and we worship Him and, and bless His name. i got to ask you a question. If everybody worshiped God the way you worship God, how would we all worship God? So, well, there'd be a lot of yawning, Pastor, to be honest with you. I'm just, I'm, I'm tired, I'm sleepy. Then you need to go to bed a little earlier on Saturday night. I have a cutoff, I do. You say, well, you should, you're a pastor, you're a preacher. Oh, yeah, I do, I have a cutoff at 12 o'clock. I don't care what game's on or what is going on, I got to be asleep. By 12, or I turn into a pastoral pumpkin. I'm just kidding. i got to go to sleep. You say, well, Pastor, there'll be a lot of arms folded if everybody worshiped like I do. Or, Pastor, I'll be honest with you, there'd be a lot of bad attitudes if everybody worshiped the way I do because sometimes I just don't have a very good, joyful spirit of praise and worship. I want to share something with you. I want to help you with something. this, This always convicts me. Stay with me. And it always helps me. Before we transition to the why, let, let, me, let me help you with Soren Kierkegaard, a philosopher centuries ago. He said, here's, here's what our problem is with worship. When we come to worship, we think we're the audience. And God's the audience. Did y'all get that? We think we are the audience. And we think that whoever's on the stage is the performer. But Kierkegaard said, no, Everybody's the performer. God's the audience. The people on the stage are prompters. We, like I got a prod. Sorry, <laughs> you know it's like a cow for woo. Amen. All right, that's right. Worship God. Yeah, that's the ideal. But what we do, especially in America, we have totally truncated and twisted worship in America. And I'm not talking just about the old guys. I'm talking especially about the younger generation. Because we come and we got to find a place that does music and praise exactly the way I want it because I am the customer. I am the audience. And if you please me, if you sing just the right tunes and the band looks just the right, cool band, band, or you got to have an orchestra, you got to have that, or you got to have a big choir, you got to do it all if you want to get my attention as the audience. And that is... There's a Hebrew word for that. It's called baloney. That's just baloney doctrine and theology. Worship was never intended to be our pleasure or to be at our beck and call. Worship has always been for Almighty God, and we are the ones who are worshiping Him, and we, that's just good doctrine. If you, Next time you come to church, do you think about it like that? Think about me. I'm just up here prompting you, encouraging you. And Terry, all these praise worship people up here doing the same thing. If they're playing the drums, he's beating the drums for the glory of God. God bless you. Played that violin. That is a good fiddle playing this morning. Bless you, sister. As you play, that prompted me to say, thank you, God. You gave her that gift and that talent. And thank you for all of her practice on that. So come and be thinking, how can I worship God and not be worshiped? Okay. Are we still friends? 
Are we still on speaking terms? Because that hurts. It hurts me. Because I've got my love. I want this. I want that. And it's not about me at all. So why do we do this? Why do we enter into his gates with thanksgiving? Why do we lift up shouts of praise? Why do we serve? Why do we exert that kind of momentum and energy on a Sunday morning? And by the way, the the reason is Jesus rose from the dead. And that's the primary driving force of why we're not Sabbath worshipers. We are Sunday worshipers because we commemorate the day that Jesus arose from the dead. But in our text, there are some powerful clues, some theological clues as to why we worship God the way that we worship God. And I want to look at a couple of them with you here. Verses 3 and 5, okay? Then we're done. Know that the Lord, well, that's it. That's why we do it, because he's the Lord. And when you know his name, when you know who the psalmist is talking about, it evokes this spirit of joyful shout. Sometimes it evokes a spirit of just reverence and bowing on our faces. And you see both of these in the Bible, in the Old and the New Testament. And then he said, we worship because he is God. He is Elohim, which is the Hebrew word for creator God, promise keeper Covenant keeper, creator God. Let me give you some T-shirt theology and bumper sticker theology. Church sign theology. Some of it's terrible, right? Some of it's really good. My favorite, all-time favorite T-shirt theology. Y'all ready for it? Here it is. On the front it says, well, this would be really good in our, in our great city. It says, there is a God. All right? And on the back it says, you are not him. I love that. That is some good, <laughs> that is some good t-shirt theology. Yes, he is God. He's the creator because he is the one who made us. Did y'all get that? The psalmist is appealing to the creative ability of God. That the one who created you is the one that desires and demands your worship. Why? Because he's worthy. Why? Because it's right. Why? Because he's the rightful owner. It's very interesting. Motivation for genuine, pure worship of God is in gratitude that Almighty God loved me enough to create me, to fashion me in my body and in my soul, in my mind, in my spirit. All of this is a gift. And it's not the result of mass mutation and natural selection. It's not the result of eons of time over time over time where all of a sudden it just, we finally evolved and here we are. No, the psalmist says God did it. God did it all. He created the universe in which you live. He created your body. He created your soul. He created you in his image and you are his. So worship him. That's why, that's one of the primary prevailing theological motivations for worship. You see why evolution is so dangerous? Do you see why this macro, naturalistic, Darwinian or neo-Darwinian evolution is so, is so heretical? Because it puts in this mindless, random force, and it attributes to that force all the beauty of nature, all the harmonious melodies, All the facial features of seven point something billion people, they're all different. All of those things were either the result of this cosmic burp where it all just started by accident and it just, and it just happened, shazam, you know, shazam, it happened. Or God 
crafted it. God created it. And God, out of love, he, he made it. He fashioned it. And he says, that was me. And I am the one to be worshipped. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. That's a beautiful, and I love that. And as much as I love it, some people hate this. They say, if I, if I agree with you that I am his sheep, then that implies ownership and a shepherd. Because if you have sheep, then you have a shepherd. And if you have a shepherd, the shepherd tells the sheep what to do. So I would rather take this stance. I'd rather have a secularistic, humanistic, hedonistic, atheistic worldview because I don't want no shepherd telling me what to do. This is us. This is Austin. This is America. Because listen, if we really understood that God created us and God loves us, then we can't help but worship him and do what he tells us. But as long as we've got this philosophical, fancy, uh, you know, existential out, that if I, just, if I can just hold on to the God of evolution, then I don't have to be accountable to a God who says I'm supposed to do certain things. Watch this. And I'm not supposed to do certain things. So here's what I'd rather do. I'd rather check my brains in over at the university and just bow down to the gods of secularism and hedonism and atheism and the humanistic worldview. And I'm going to tell you something, friend. That is a bad way to go. That ends in loneliness. That ends in no purpose. That ends in misery. That ends in depression. But I want to tell you this. God never intended that for you. God loves you. God fashioned you. God created you in his image. He invites you to come to him and know him because he loves you so much that he created you, he fashioned you, and he threw away the mold when he made you. Why? Because you couldn't do any better. You are his. You, are, you got your own DNA and, and RNA. You got your own micromolecules. You got your own cells. You got your own brain. Amen. You got your own circulatory system, respiratory system, and sexual reproduction, whatever system that is. You got all them systems. How did it come about? God did it. God loves you, and God wants you to worship him. He's worthy of your worship. Okay, next verse. Why? If that wasn't enough, because he's Tob, T-O-W-B, good. As a popular word in Hebrew, Tob is the goodness of God. Because you're a good, good father. Aren't you glad we don't sing, and you're a mean, mean father. It's who you are. No, and I'm scared of you. No. No, I'm a, he's a good, good father. But he has ownership, right? And as our rightful owner, he has the right to tell us what to do and what not to do. And that's the rub with 21st century secular humanism. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. And his mercy, his kessed, that's a beautiful word. That is the covenant-keeping mercy of God is everlasting. It's everlasting. God's mercy, you can't drain it. You can't exhaust it. You can't wear it out. Some of you have tried, but you can't. God's mercy is God not doing or giving you what you deserve, right? All of us deserve death. We deserve chastisement. Oh, my word, for the things we think, the things we do, the things we say, the attitudes of our heart. Oh, my word. 
God could just strike us dead, but he doesn't. Why? Because he's kind and he's great. You say, this is, the new, this is the New Testament, right? No, this is the Old Testament. This is the Old Testament. This is a God of mercy and grace and compassion. Here he is. And I love this next part. And his truth, it endures to all generations. The truth of God. No falsity. Whenever God speaks, you can mark it. It is truth. Whenever the devil speaks, it's always lies. In John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus said, You are of your father, the devil. I think I'm a tough preacher sometimes. <laughs> I think I'm harsh sometimes. Oh, my word. Jesus preached on money a hundred times more than I did, and he called people a bunch of whitewashed tombs, you're a bunch of snakes, you're a bunch of vipers, you're going to hell. That's the way Jesus preached. I love Jesus. <laughs> you know why? Because he told us the truth. He told us the truth. It's interesting when you study Jesus, he's very harsh on religious people. He's very kind on sinners. <laughs> That's just the way he did it. He was very harsh on the hypocritical religious, but he was very kind and gracious toward the sinner who wanted to repent and come to faith. And I love John 8, go and sin no more. His truth endures to all generations. So how we worship is important. I think there's a place for demonstrative, celebratory, hands up high. What, what, what if sometime we just were worshiping God? And I may just do this next week. I'm serious. I may just come alongside during the praise and the worship and go, bam, just give you, not in the face, amen, but give you. <laughs> Some of you go, oh, oh, thank you. Wake me up, brother. Thank you. Wake me up. No, I'll just give you a high five. Woo! What if I did that to you? And I gave a little shout. And you'd say, well, no, brother Dan, breaking protocol. They didn't teach you that in seminary, didn't I mean? <laughs> David said, make a joyful shout. Talk about dancing, right? Because he also said to dance the Lord, we won't go there, all right? We'll just talk about shouting right now, all right? And we just gave high five. Woohoo! God is good. Amen, amen. How? That is important. But why is even more important? Because of who he is. He created us. He's merciful, he's good, his truth endures to all generations. By the way, we're all going to worship. 11.59, give me one more minute. There's a clock in your head that goes off at noon. You just faint on me, you know. So give me one more minute. When you worship, you're only doing that which you were created to do. And all of us worship. We, we worship something, somebody. We all have to worship. We are programmed and designed to worship. Now, I'm going to pick on football for just a minute, okay? <laughs> you know, when Auburn plays, and they're my favorite team. Hey, man, they, there's so many Auburn fans because they beat Alabama. I get that. I get that. And Ashley, I'm, I know. Fred, I know. I know. But I'm not rubbing it in or anything. I want to, but I'm not. I'm not. not, not. Listen, if you get happy when your team wins, that's cool. If you get sad when your team loses, that's cool. But when you linger on that for hours and days, that's not cool. You need another God. <laughs> when your stocks do this and you're rejoicing for days, and when your stocks do that, you go in mourning for days and weeks, that's not good. You need another God. When your spouse disappoints you, and I promise you, ma'am, he will. Give him time. He will disappoint you. 
And when you are grieving for days because you thought you married the perfect man, he, he is not worthy of your worship. God is worthy of our worship. In the state of Alabama, a couple weeks ago, an Alabama fan literally shot an Auburn fan with a gun. He said, my team's better than yours. He goes, no, you're not. And he shoots him. What the heck? What is that? Shooting people over a football game. Another guy poisoned the trees and killed the oak trees. People get divorced in Alabama because of the Auburn-Alabama game. I know. Then that's just too much. That's too far. We need to redo this rivalry between A&M and Texas. I, I don't know whatever happened. I'd, I'd like to see them play each other. And then come to church the next day and just say, how y'all doing, you know? <laughs> half of down, you know? Say, well, Brother Danny, hold on. There are other teams in Texas besides A&M and the Longhorns, and I know there are. But my point is, it, I mean, God gives us good things to enjoy. I get that. But if it affects us, it affects the way we treat one another, or it affects our whether we're going to go to church the next day or not, then that's, that's, that's way beyond the, the purview of what God designed for us. God, oh, here it is, here it is. Last word, here it is. I said it last week. I'm going to add just a little bit to it. All gods make terrible gods, but Jesus. And all masters are horrible masters except the master, the Lord God Almighty. So worship him. First thing God wants you to do, your worship, he, he wants you. He wants, he wants your life. He wants your sin. He wants all that you are to come to him into his presence and say, Jesus, here I am. I'm messed up, and I need forgiveness. I need you. And Jesus says, come on in. And God cleanses us, and he, and he, and he, and he does miracles in us. He regenerates us. He saves us. only thing God asks you to do is come with a heart of belief and a heart that says, Lord, I'm sorry. Would you please forgive me? And your rightful owner will do that, which football could never do, a spouse could never do, a job could never do, a hobby could never do, money could never do. He will take you, he will cleanse you, and he will fill you with his presence and his peace. Hallelujah. What a God, what a Savior. He invites you to do that today. Maybe you're here and you do know the Lord. And maybe you're walking with God and you're worshiping God and you're serving God. And I just want to come alongside you and say, God bless you. May the Lord continue just to shower his favor upon you. Some of you or trying to go this Lone Ranger Christianity alone, and, and you don't even have Tonto. It's just you. I mean, you're just a Lone Ranger. You're, just a, you're an army of one, and you just kind of like that. And, and, and I want to encourage you on this. You can't, you can't sustain that. Because somewhere, somehow, you are going to need the rest of the body. The hand cannot say to the foot, I don't need you. Or the eye cannot say to the ear, do away with you. I don't need you because we're one entity, one body. We need each other, all right? In a couple of weeks, uh, next week, December the 3rd, Discover Great Hills. If you're interested in becoming a member of our church, understanding what that looks like, come to this class and, and listen and learn and see how you can be a part of this, this big body that God has given us. Okay, let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for our time together. Thank you for the Word of God that is rich, it's deep. Lord, we cannot exhaust it even for eternity. We'll continue to learn about you and about how awesome you are. So, God, we pray. That even in this time of worship, that, Lord, when we culminate this and consummate this act of worship, may it end, Lord, with the result of giving, sacrifice, commitment, praise. Lord, all that we've heard today, may it culminate in this point of us saying, God, we love you. You are our rightful owner. 
For those of you here today, my friend, you have not one time, you have never just humbled yourself in your pride and your arrogance and your elitism and your academia and your scholarship. You just say all that impediments. Would you just humble yourself under, under the mighty hand of God and say, God, lift me. God, I can't do this on my own. Be my Savior. Be my King. And He will. He will. Trust in Him. So, Lord, we thank You. We thank You for this time of invitation where we ask You, Lord, to do what only You can do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet, sing praise to the Lord. Maybe you want to come to the altar and praise Him and pray to Him. Maybe you want to speak with someone. You do as the Holy Spirit leads you. God bless you as you come.